0: Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's word. Good morning. This is our seventh in our in our series that, that I've entitled "Frustration, Failure, and Faith," and we're talking about trusting God in trying times. Our subject today is a gentleman named Ahithophel. His name means "brother of foolishness." Why somebody would name their child that, I really don't know. But uh, when we talk about Ahithophel today, our subtitle is "When we try to get even with someone." And all of us have had experience with that, either uh, being on one end or the other. Certainly all of us have been hurt and we've been uh, been used and by other people and, uh, and, and we have sometimes created hurt for other people as well. How do we deal with it whenever we have been, have been hurt? Uh, some of us get bitter. Some of us become resentful. Some of us hold grudges for years and years. We're going to see that uh, today. Uh, Some of us seek to get revenge. We're going to get back at this person for the hurt that they've caused us. Of course, there is another option, and it's the one that the Bible talks about, and that is the option to forgive, which is what we should do. Just so that we're all on the same page, I would uh, point you to your notes in the introductory section. There's a couple of definitions there, so let's be sure that we're uh, when we talk about these things that we are talking about the same thing. The definition of revenge, according to Merriam-Webster, is to avenge you. Usually by retaliating in kind or degree to inflict injury, and notice this, in return for hurt sustained. It's the idea of uh, of retribution. <clears throat> Wikipedia defines it this way, a harmful action against a person or group in response to a grievance. So again, that ho- that goes back to something that uh, a hurt sustained. Now, it can be um, a perceived hurt as well as an actual hurt. Um, also, uh, Wikipedia goes on to say, uh, be it real or perceived. Uh, certainly uh, the- the Bible has a lot to say about the whole issue of revenge. In Romans twelve nineteen it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And of course that is a cited from Deuteronomy chapter thirty two verse thirty five the problem with revenge um, other than the fact that the bible forbids us to do that the real problem with the revenge uh, by human beings is that uh, in the final analysis there's really no getting even and I'll point you to that passage from Genesis chapter 4 where it says Lamech said to his wives, I have killed a man for wounding me. Notice, somebody had hurt him, so in response he didn't hurt them back, he actually killed them. Oh, That's not getting even, that's getting more than even. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77. Seven times, in other words, you fool with me. The 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 hurt that you've given me is so great that I need to go to an extreme to get even with you. Whereas, on the other hand, if I have hurt you then it just seems to me like that perhaps that's not such a big deal i don't know why you would want to uh, get back to me get back at me at, to such an extreme we're going to see this <clears throat> excuse me we're going to see this illustrated today in the story of ahithophel the time is during king david's administration Uh, David has been having some horrific family problems. His firstborn son, named Amnon, has raped his half-sister, whose name is Tamar. They had the same dad. Both of them uh, were uh, children of David, but they had different moms. Uh, Tamar's brother's name was Absalom, so he was also a half-brother of the firstborn uh, Amnon. Absalom, uh, in retaliation for what Amnon had done to his sister, his full sister, uh, had amnon killed and then uh as a result of that absalom found himself in exile for a number of years he finally did return there was an interesting chain of events and it's just a wonderful story to read about but once his exiles over he he came back to the land and uh but there was no repentance on his part and no reconciliation between Absalom and his dad, uh, the king, King David. In fact, there was a lot of uh, just hard feelings between the two, a lot of uh, animosity. And uh, so it's important for us to have that as a background to, uh, to the story of, of, uh, of what's going on. Uh, as far as David's life is concerned. The principal characters in our story, and I've listed those for you, is Ahithophel, who is a royal counselor. He was a counselor during the... uh... Uh, during the time of David, as I just mentioned. He was also briefly a counselor for, uh, for Absalom as well. Notice the passage from 2 Samuel chapter 16 says, Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the Word of God. He was really good at what he did. and the God, And obviously God had really blessed him as a counselor. And David really valued his counsel. Uh, the uh, another principal character is Absalom, who is uh the prince he is uh david's number three son and would uh after the death of amnon would seem to be the heir apparent. It says in all in 2 Samuel 14, In all Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he would weigh it. So this is a good-looking guy. He knew he was a good-looking guy. And he had a lot of problems with, uh, with pride and arrogance, which is going... In the final analysis, as we see, will prove to be his undoing. David was the reigning king. He is another principal in this story of Ahithophel, and then there is another person who plays a uh, a part, not a significant. Well, it is uh, it is a significant part, but it's a it's a sort of a short lived part. And his name is Hushai. He is a friend of David, uh, who also served as a counselor, not with the same. St- status that Ahithophel had, but he would serve as David's spy. So my goodness, here we've got a, a story we're about to talk about um, about a man named Ahithophel who is uh gonna try to get even with somebody for something and uh and then David has a spy. So my goodness, this uh this must be some sort of uh exciting story. So let's uh let's begin uh, our reading in Second Samuel chapter fifteen. And again, I just want to remind you about that passage about uh, Ahithophel in 2 Samuel 16 where it says, Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was is, was as if one consulted the Word of God, and so was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. So this guy had a lot of professional success. Uh, God had blessed him, he, um, he was good at what he did, and he was highly esteemed by the king. And if you're held in high esteem by the king, um, you're in a pretty good position. So not only was he doing well in his work Uh, that is his profession but he also had a lot of personal satisfaction as well and I put uh, just a, a couple of verses there in your notes from Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, uh, this is a list of the mighty men of David, and uh, you know he had thousands and thousands of troops, but then he had these uh, these uh, thirty or so, thir- actually thirty-seven of his mightiest men, and he had those in a special listing. <clears throat> and notice what it says here. It says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel of Gilo, Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. So, Ahithophel, whether he, how many children he had, I don't know. And I'm, I don't think the Bible tells us. But we do know that he had at least one son, and this son's name was Eliam. And Eliam was listed among the 37 mightiest men in David's army. So this man has a lot of professional success. He's doing well in his work. And he probably has a lot of personal satisfaction as well. Not only that he would derive from his work, but also from the fact that his son is held in high... Not only is he held in high esteem, but also his son is held in high esteem by the king, by King David. and even listed among these 37 of His mightiest uh, mightiest men. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, because of the, the animosity that had been growing between David and his formerly exiled son Absalom, and uh, their the animosity just continued to increase exponentially and in 2 Samuel chapter 15 it says after this and the after this refers to the the events that were taking place uh when Absalom was exiled when he came back and when his dad wouldn't even see him for a period of uh, of years and then once they finally did get together it was clear there was no real real reconciliation and certainly no repentance on the part of of Absalom for the fact that he had killed his half brother Oh, Amnon. 2 Samuel 15. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and fifty men to run before him. And we've already said this guy, Absalom tends to be sort of an arrogant sort of person. So it sounds like something is really about to go on here. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. I would give him justice. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. And so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Notice there's a. if you're interested in uh, being successful in politics uh, certainly this is a uh, this is a way to uh, to do it because uh, this, this is a little mini study I guess in how to be a successful politician. Uh, verse 1 says you need to make yourself visible. Verse 3 says you need to talk about the unfair treatment that other people are getting. Uh, verse 4 um, we see that what you do is you promise people what it is that they want, and then in verse five, you convince them that you're one of them, and then in verse eleven—and we haven't got there in our reading yet—but you will see that uh, the, the the last thing that you do uh, in this little just this little mini study here is that you use unsuspecting people. Uh, of course, I'm speaking a little tongue in cheek here, but uh, it's uh, Absalom is. Uh, Is seeking to undermine his father. Uh, Before it's all over, he is going to uh, make a coup attempt. Uh, uh, Now we pick up the story in uh, in verse seven. It says, "And at the end of four years, all right. So Absalom's been doing this stuff for four years, winning the hearts of people from uh, one end of the nation to the other, and he's just been going around." um, seeking to build up himself and talk about the unfair treatment that they're getting and remember david is uh is probably at this point in his uh in his uh, late fifties maybe early sixties and uh just the the family problems that he's had the uh, all the stuff that's been going on the wars uh have taken their toll and he is just a little bit tired, uh, and in fact we we know that he had gotten he had uh, tired of war in the fact that uh, when his troops were out at war in second Samuel chapter eleven, that was when David stayed in uh, in Jerusalem, and of course that's what precipitated the incident with Bathsheba, and uh, David got in trouble. But let's go back to our story. 2 Samuel 15, and we pick up uh, the story in verse 7. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Your servant, speaking of himself, to his father David, your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Geshur in Aram. That was in Syria, and this is during the time that Absalom was exiled. Now, I vowed a vow saying, if the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. Now, uh, any dad, especially as dads get older, are delighted if their children begin to show some interest in spiritual things. And David is certainly no different in that respect the king said to him go in peace so he so he arose and went to hebron Remember, hebron was the original capital when david first became king he ruled in hebron for about seven years and it wasn't until the end of that time that the uh, capital was moved to Jerusalem uh, and those last 33 years of his uh, of his reign he reigned from Jerusalem so he's saying I, I want to go to uh, to Hebron but Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel saying as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet then say Absalom is king at Hebron so here, here he is he's planning a coup attempt against his dad and he He's certainly uh, doing a wise thing in, from the standpoint of uh, making it successful by staging this at Hebron, which is the place where his dad, David, first became king. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city Gilo, and the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. Why in the world would Ahithophel join a coup attempt when he's such a good friend of David, when he had so many good things going for him? Well, let's let's keep reading, because remember Ahithophel is is what is the person that we're really focusing on today And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So the king went out, and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. That is to look after things in the palace while he is uh, fleeing along with the rest of the people for his life. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok also came... These are priests. Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God, and they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. And then the king said to Zadok, Carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he, the Lord, says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me what seems good to him. So it's, it's clear that David here uh, is seeking to trust the Lord. He said, we're not going to take the ark with us. The ark belongs here. Of course, the temple has not been built yet. The, the ark is in a in a tented area. And he said, that's where it belongs. And uh, if God's pleased to bring me back, then I'll see it again. And if he's not, well, that's all right too. After all, he is God. "Let uh, Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz your son and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until the word comes from you uh, to inform me. So he said, look, you send those two boys back, uh, back back into the city, he says, until the word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. But David went up from the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. So he's uh, essentially in mourning. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Notice David prays. If Ahithophel is going over that, listen, he is so good at what he does. He's going to give such great advice that Lord, please turn his counsel into foolishness so that this coup will eventually fail. While David was coming up to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. So he's he's mourning about what's happened as well. David said to him, If you go on with me, that is, if you cross the Jordan with me and go over into the, uh, you know, the eastern side of the Jordan, if you go on with me, you'll be a burden to me. That is, you, you're just another mouth to feed. You're somebody else I've got to worry about. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I'll be your servant, then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. So notice, he prays that God will defeat the counsel and will turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. But then, in the providence of God, this friend Hushai, the archite comes up and he's also uh, has a reputation as we'll see as a counselor and and David apparently recognizes the providence of God and says listen you go back to town you're going to be a burden if you go in you're just another mouth I'm going to have to feed and just somebody else I'm going to have to worry about if, uh, if they come after us. And so if you'll just go back, you can serve as a spy, and you can also do whatever you can to counter the uh, the advice that Ahithophel gives. So whatever you hear from... The, David goes on. So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them. In other words, you tell the you, you, whatever you hear. You're my spy. Whatever you hear. You tell those priests. The priests will tell those two sons of theirs. And those sons will get the word to me so that I'll know what's going on and I can plan my strategy. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So Hushai is there now and he will act as a spy for David and he will seek to influence Absalom. So what we see is that there's been a change of allegiance on the part of this man named Ahithophel. Uh, He had power, he had prestige, he had position, he had it all. He was good friends with the king. They, they even worshipped together. Notice uh, uh, if you look in the, on that page 1 of your notes at the very bottom on the left-hand side, the passage from Psalm 55, uh, most Bible scholars believe that this probably is a reference to Ahithophel where David uh, says this, he says, Confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. So David is writing about this whole incident later, talking about the feelings that he experienced when his good friend and counselor, Ahithophel, turned away from him. So it's clear that something happened. Something well, you don't just change sides for no apparent reason. Well, what is it that happens? Let's uh, let's just keep reading Second Samuel chapter sixteen. So now Absalom is in Jerusalem and Hithophel's with him. And, uh, and Hushai is there serving as a spy. The, the priests are there and they're paying attention. They would be close to what's going on, so they would have, uh, and they've got their ears open to hear anything they can hear, that, and they're going to pass it on to their sons who's going to take word, uh, to David. 2 Samuel 16, verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Now remember, David left ten concubines there just to kind of look after the place. Go into them, whom he's left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made a stone yourself a stench to your father and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened you said well i don't get it well think about this essentially absalom would be announcing to everybody everywhere i'm the new king and i'm taking over the king's harem that's what he's saying and notice what they did So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, that is, on the roof of the palace. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Let me tell you, this was a shrewd move right here because essentially you are announcing publicly to everybody there is no turning back because people are a little... Can be a little fickle, and they can be a little gun shy about changing allegiance. Well, what if you know David is a is a man of war? What if he gets all riled up, and then Absalom decides, well, maybe this wasn't such a good idea, and I'm on the wrong side, then it could cost me my life, and cost me the the lives of my my whole family. So Absalom was do, doing doing a, a smart thing, a shrewd thing in terms of keeping the hearts of the people and Ahithophel while we look at this and we say what terrible advice it was good advice as far as Absalom was concerned for getting the allegiance of the people but I want you to look just to the left of that and what what we kind of do is is regarding these concubines. Uh, and this goes back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is sort of a little flashback here to something that had happened um, after the incident with Bathsheba. You remember David had uh, tried to cover things up and that didn't work out. So he had Uriah the Hittite, her husband, killed and he thought he had everything all covered up and then about a about a year later uh he was confronted with his sin and in 2 Samuel chapter 12 it said god says to david this now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me you have taken me lightly And took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Speaking of Bathsheba. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Notice that's exactly what's happening to David in our story today. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. See that's exactly what happened. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And the application there is the, has to do with the certainty of God's Word. God means what He says, and He says what He means. And the Bible says the soul that sins shall die. We need to take that seriously. Let's go back to our story. Alright, so Absalom has uh, has publicly taken over the harem. He has essentially burned all the bridges. There is no turning back now. 2 Samuel 17. Moreover, Ahithophel, so Ahithophel still giving advice. This first thing you ought to do is is let folks know you're really serious about this by taking over the harem. Here's the second thing. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me, that is Me, Ahithophel, let me choose twelve thousand men. and and notice all the references to uh, first person references here and I will arise and pursue David tonight I will come upon him while he's weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee I will strike down only the king and I will bring all the people back to you you seek the life of only one man and all the people will be at peace in other words David's, David's not organized he's just barely across the Jordan River. This is the time to strike. Give me a small strike force. You don't have to go over there. You stay here and play around in the harem if you want to. You just let me go and I'll take care of him. Folks going to see us coming. They're going to scatter. And when they do, I'll take care of David. Now again. This is extremely good advice. You don't want to wait till a seasoned warrior like David has a chance to sit down and think about what's going on and devise a strategy. You want to, you want to get him while there's a lot of confusion in the camp. So from that standpoint it's again it's uh, it's very shrewd counsel. And in fact, notice in verse 4 it says and the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. For, so for them it was great counsel. And we read just a little while ago where was it in 2 Samuel 16 that that the counsel was as if he was it was coming from the word of God in in the days of David and in the days of uh, of Absalom. So his gift, as far as his counseling, is still working. So let's take advantage of his confusion. Let's take advantage of his exhaustion, and uh, let's 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 just let me just go get him right now. Now again, and the other thing we need to think about is all these personal pronouns. Listen, Ahithophel... It, Having been the friend of the king and having had this cushy position with David for all of whatever number of years it was, now he wants David's blood. What in the world is going on with this guy, Ahithophel? Then Absalom said, "Well, call Hushai the Archite also. Now, why would you why would you do that?" Well, in the providence of God, God has a plan, and that plan is not going to be thwarted even by a brilliant person like Ahithophel. Then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Notice that's a very bold statement that he made Hushai said you know that your father and his men are mighty men now notice the notice the, the argument that Hushai makes here uh, why Ahithophel's plan was not a good plan notice the appeal that he makes first of all he says your, your, your dad David the king and his men are mighty men they, you know, they, have, they have had all kinds of uh, war experience and they And they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs, they are ferocious uh they are loyal to David. You don't want to mess with those folks. They're like, uh, It's like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He's got this all this uh, fighting expertise. He'll not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he's hidden himself in one of the pits or some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, Well, there's been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom in other words they 're going to be casualties if you try to go get him tonight, and those casualties among absalom 's troops are going to discourage everybody else and say woo we can't we can 't battle somebody like david you, no no, you don 't want to do this now." He says, it'll be so bad that, in verse 10, then even the valiant men whose heart is like the heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel, here's what you ought to do, Absalom. According to Hushai. Remember, he's there to look after David. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba. Now remember, Dan is the northernmost city. Beersheba is the southernmost city right there on the edge of the desert. All Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba. Now now if you pause there for just a minute, what is Hushai doing? That's right. He is buying time right now because it's going to take days for all of those people, all those troops, the word to get out and all of those troops to assemble themselves there at Jerusalem at uh, for Absalom my counsel is that all israel be gathered to you from dan to beersheba notice how he's noticed now how he's going to uh, appeal to absalom's vanity as the sand by the sea for multitude in other words you're just going to have all kind of troops they're going to be right there ready to take your commands and that you go to battle in person you need to you need to be out in front of this thing absalom so we shall come upon him in some place where he's to be found and we shall light upon him as the dew falls upon the ground. Notice how he just he just paints this beautiful picture of how Absalom can overcome his father, the king, and of him and all the men with him, not one will be left and if he withdraws into a city that is if he if he goes into some walled city somewhere to try to hold out, then all Israel will bring bring ropes to that city and will drag it into the valley. Until not even a pebble is to be found there. So he's he's appealing to to David's reputation as a fighter, but he's also buying time for uh, for David in doing so, and he is uh, appealing to Absalom's uh, vanity in all of this. And at, now notice uh, verse fourteen. That's uh, that's really. Uh, One of the important verses here. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. From a strategic standpoint, it was not. Ahithophel's counsel was the counsel to follow. But they elected not to follow that counsel. They elected to follow the counsel of Hushai the Archite. And the question is why? And that question is answered in the next verse, or the next statement. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. Why? So that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. God's sovereign plan was to deal with Absalom. And he's going to do it this way. Isn't it amazing that that the hurt that David had to go through in order for this harm to be placed upon Absalom? But it was David's infidelity and David's murder of Bathsheba's husband that really was the thing that started all of this originally. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so... Did Ahithophel counsel, and thus and so have I counsel. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David. Uh, tell him what's going on. Then David arose, and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. Uh, so. Uh, Apparently they were waiting down there in the, in, in the fords just to, uh, to see what was going on. It says, when Ahithophel, Now that no, was verse 23. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, went off home to his own city, he set his house in order, and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Why would he do that? Why, I mean, you, you've got this, this coup attempt. All these troops are going to be mustered there to, to Absalom, and you're going to get to go after David. Ahithophel knew that a delay in giving David time to think and time to strategize, time to organize his troops, Ahithophel knew. That that decision that, that Absalom and his elder and the elders had made, that defeat was inevitable, and of course, when David would come back and regain his throne, one of the first people he would deal with would be Ahithophel. So Ahithophel's life was not worth anything, so he took his life. Now, the, the question arises, uh, again, why? Why would Ahithophel do this? We're, we're, again, our our topic is when we try to get even with someone. What what is it that Ahithophel was trying to get even with uh, with David? What, what was it? Well, again, if you look in your notes, we look at a flashback here. A Eight, eight or more years earlier than the incident that we're just talking about, this coup attempt. Eight, at least eight years before this. Notice the passage from Second Samuel 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And then David sent messengers to get her. And she came to him and he slept with her. And then eventually things got complicated when she became pregnant as a result of that one night stand. So here's Ahithophel who has gone from being a close friend and confidant to a determined enemy with a desire to kill his old friend. And now we have a clue as to why. Did you pick up the clue? The man, he sent to find out about her. And the man said, isn't this Bathsheba? the daughter of Eliam. Who is Eliam? That's the son of Ahithophel. Bathsheba was his granddaughter. Can you imagine this situation? That Ahithophel has a grandfather. I'm a grandfather. I have seven grandchildren. And can you imagine how Ahithophel at one point must have rejoiced not only in all of his son's accomplishments, but in the birth of this granddaughter? He would see her nurse at her mother's breast. He would see her crawling around. He would see her beginning to pull up on whatever the coffee table was like at the time, pulling up on things and toddling around and following, falling. And he would see her have her first crush and puppy love. And eventually she would fall in love with a soldier, Uriah the Hittite, and would marry him. That helps us understand, doesn't it? And for eight years Ahithophel has just let this eat him up inside. What should have what should he have done? You know, David's had this one night stand, there's an attempted cover up, and even in the cover up, Uriah was was faithful. He he just he wouldn't even go home and sleep with his wife, which is what David wanted him to do so that everybody would think the baby was his baby. And then there was a murderous decision on the part of David. Just get rid of Uriah. And here's Ahithophel, who is one of David's his counselors, but also he would have been at court a lot. And word gets around at court. And so now Ahithophel has a choice. Will he forgive or will he seek revenge? He could have confronted David. He could have forgiven David. He could have sought reconciliation with David. But that's not what he did. He became angry. And we can understand the anger. And that anger turned into a silent rage. And it developed into resentment, bitterness, and ultimately the desire for revenge. And when Absalom got torqued off at his dad, David, Ahithophel knew that the time had come that this would be his opportunity to get revenge. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter twelve, verse fifteen. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many, many become defiled. Revenge, holding grudges. Grudges. It's kind of like it's uh, our mind is like the old videotape days. I guess we would. We would use uh, flash drives today, but we we want to hold these memories of how somebody's hurt us, and we just plug them in and play them over and over. Oh yeah, he really hurt me. He really hurt me. I want to read you something. It's a clipping that that I took out of the the local newspaper back in 1989. Now make a make a mental note of this. In April, on in fact, it was April 18th of. 1989 when this uh column dear abby appeared and I want want to read it to you it says dear abby this the letter of, and apparently the writer is talking about some some previous uh, column but it says dear Abby the letter about the boy who falsely accused a girl of stealing found out he was wrong then sent flowers to her in a classroom brought back memories flowers are nice but had I been that girl I would have preferred receiving his apology publicly in a crowded lunch room the same place he accused her of stealing and now she's going to tell about what happened to her I was in a new job and was in charge of all current filing cabinets. About 15 coworkers and I had our desks in an open area without walls, not even glass partitions. The number one boss asked me to bring him a certain file. I couldn't find it. He had a visitor with him who wanted to see that file. I looked for that file and couldn't find it. I knew I had it in my filing cabinet, but it was gone. The boss loudly ridiculed me for my inefficiency in the presence of my co-workers. I wanted to die. About an hour later, he called me into his office. I expected to be fired. Instead, I got a quiet and very formal apology in the presence of nobody. He told me that the purchasing agent had taken the file from the cabinet during my lunch hour and neglected to tell me. The purchasing agent had heard him chewing me out but didn't say a word until the visitor had left. Then he told the boss, He never did apologize to me for taking that file without telling me or failing to speak up while my boss was humiliating me. My respect for both men was destroyed that summer day in 1954. Now this appeared in 1989. This woman has been holding on to this for 35 years. 35 years. Let it go, lady. There's got to be a better response. In fact, uh, you, some of you, yeah, I know. Some of you won't know what Abby said. Said, uh, Dear Francis, 35 years is a long time to wait for public vindication. I hope a few witnesses to that incident read this. Have a nice day, Francis. There's got to be a better response than that and the response is that the biblical response is one of forgiving notice the concluding remarks in your notes first of all bitterness and resentment are silent killers they are you know we talking about heart disease being a silent killer let me tell you bitterness and resentment are silent killers they kill our joy they kill our peace of mind and they negatively impact the people who are around us just like hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 said many become defiled to god alone belongs the option of revenge our view of getting evil is skewed by sin In fact, that's the very reason for for eye-for-eye laws. Eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth. It was to limit retribution. Because if you hurt me, God, let me tell you what, I I need to hurt you back a whole lot more if I really want to get even. See, that's the way we think in our fallenness. The resentment of both Absalom and Hithophel embroiled an entire nation in a civil war in order to justify our own feelings of resentment We often seek to convince others through all kinds of means, very often manipulative means, to see things our way and that makes the polarization even greater. So again, this goes back to whenever we fail to forgive, whenever we harbor bitterness, whenever we harbor resentment. Do you know what bitterness and resentment are? Think of it this way. Uh, Resentment is a a feeling of displeasure. Uh, Resentment is that indignation that we get from feeling as if we have been offended or injured in some way. Bitterness is a deep, deep distress of mind. It's an intense type of antagonism. And that's what was going on in Ahithophel. That's what goes on in us if we don't forgive because the the longer we just let it lie there, the worse it gets. The only genuine cure for relieving bitterness and resentment is found in Christ. We need to admit to ourselves that we're experiencing that very thing. And we need to confess that bitterness and confess that resentment to God for what it is. And what it is is sin don 't add any butts, no excuses in 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 one sense if we 've been hurt were were we victimized? Absolutely, we were victimized. but the truth is is that God was in control, and he could have stopped it if he wanted to genesis fifty twenty after joseph uh, Joseph and all his brothers when their dad, after their dad had died remember. the the ten brothers who had sold Joseph into slavery years and decades earlier were afraid that Joseph was going to... Now that Dad was gone, boy, Joseph was going to finally have the opportunity to get him. And they concocted a story. Oh, Dad said you needed to forgive us. Joseph looked those ten brothers in the eye and said, Now, when you did that, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. He had forgiven these brothers and he took care of his brothers. And that was proof that He had forgiven them because He sought to do them good. We need to acknowledge the sufficiency of the grace of God in the circumstances and appropriate that grace. Notice the passage from in your notes from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 22 and following. <clears throat> you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Now the old self He's talking about there, those those old habits and strategies for living that we have. Put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self new habits, new strategies for living, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Get rid of all bitterness. How do you do that? You repent. You leave justice to God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. What does it mean to forgive? To send it away. That's what God does. He separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. He throws our sins into the deepest sea and probably plants a sign out there that says no fishing. Forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Say, does this, does this person, well, I'll tell you what, that person really hurt me. Well, I, I know they did. If, if even half of the story that you told me is true, that person really did hurt you. Well, I just, I, that person doesn't deserve forgiveness. I said, you're exactly right. They don't deserve it. But when God forgave you your sins, did you deserve it? You see, God didn't give, forgive us our sins because we deserve to be forgiven. He forgave us our sins for Christ's sake. Because Christ bore all of that for us. And we are to forgive others the same way that Christ has forgiven us. Not because we've earned forgiveness. Not because we deserve forgiveness. In fact, we deserve just the opposite. We deserve what Hithfel wanted to give David. That's what we deserve. But God in His mercy forgives us because Christ has borne the penalty for us. We need to rely on God's grace. We need to anticipate that the God of all grace will, before it's all over, produce the character of Christ in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And that transformation includes the fact that we learn to forgive as we have been forgiven. And that means we forgive not because a person deserves it. Again, just the opposite is probably true. Sure, it is true. They don't deserve it. But we need to remember that we didn't deserve it either. And yet God forgave us because of what Christ did on our behalf. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We're not, not going to be perfect until finally we're with the Lord Jesus. And this new nature within us has been extricated from this body that is just loaded with habits and strategies of dealing with life on its own. And we get a new body like the body of our Savior that's matched up with that new nature a body that has no desire for sin it is incapable of sin relying on God's grace will reverse our tendency to be resentful and bitter and we're going to have to rely on that grace a lot the bible says to overcome evil with good in romans chapter 12 robert robinson wrote that great old hymn, Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. O, take my heart, O, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. May God give us wisdom. And may we appropriate the grace that God has given us in Christ to say no to the old way of dealing with things and say yes, yes. When you did that, you meant evil against me and it hurt and it still hurts. But God meant it for good and because God has forgiven me, I can forgive you. Praise be to God for His grace and mercy. Let's pray. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906